Section 15 of With Fire and Sword. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Asterix. With Fire and Sword by Samuel H. M. Byers. Chapter 13, Part 1 living in a grave an adventure in the woods of south carolina life in the asylum yard at the capital of south carolina the song of sherman's march to the sea how it came to be written final escape the burning up of south carolina's capital now we were near the capital of south carolina it is our third prison we were placed in a cleared field among the pine woods a few miles from the town here we spent a part of a terrible winter exposed to the storm and rain we had no shelter save such as we made at last of sticks and logs that we were allowed to carry in from the neighbouring wood our food was wretched we had almost no clothing and the weather was very bad nearly all the time we were surrounded by a line of guards a battery constantly in readiness to fire on us should an alarm be given stood near by our food was still the half-cooked corn and cobs together with quantities of a poor and sickly sorghum molasses we heard that the rebel army was living little better than we were in ridicule of the rations the prisoners dubbed this prison pen camp sorghum every man among us was sick with diarrhoea the little graveyard for the prisoners nearby grew rapidly the details of our life in this miserable camp i shall not relate they were simply too horrible as for myself my only shelter was a hole in the ground four feet deep four feet wide and eight feet long it was covered with boughs and earth lieutenant morris and myself occupied this living grave for months we had a tiny fireplace of clay built in the end of it where we burned roots and the long rainy nights we two sat there alone reading an old newspaper by our root light or talking of our faraway homes one very stormy night our water-soaked roof fell in on us and then we were compelled to walk about in the rain i wonder now that any soul survived the miseries of that camp valley forge was paradise compared to it but all this misery was a part of war naturally numbers ran the guard lines at this woeful prison pen and escaped into the woods firing by the sentinels on these escaping prisoners was a common occurrence on dark nights here and there an officer was killed and sometimes under circumstances that marked the sentinel a common murderer a battery of loaded cannons stood outside the guard line with orders to open on the prisoners should five musket shots be heard with the constant escaping of prisoners at night these five fatal shots could occur at any hour for my own part i resolved to again attempt escape but my efforts failed again and twice in succession i recall with a shudder how one night late in november my friend lieutenant ecking of new york was foully murdered he had bribed a guard to let two or three of us run across the line that night at midnight the bribe was to consist of a silver watch 
some of these men were easily bribed they were not regular confederate soldiers but usually cowardly home guards who regarded the murdering of a helpless prisoner a heroic act when midnight came three of us were secreted close to the deadline as soon as the bribed sentinel came to his post and commenced walking up and down his beat lieutenant ecking rose and approached him the night was clear moonlight the moment ecking had crossed the deadline and was holding the watch up to the guard the coward shot him dead for this outrage the home guard received a furlough about this time too lieutenant turbaine was murdered by a guard for mistaking the ringing of a bell some of us had been permitted to go out on parole and carry in wood at stated times without notice this privilege was suspended but the bellman by mistake rang as usual turbaine started for the deadline go back halt shouted a sentinel turbaine turned to obey but was instantly shot in the back and dropped dead there was a furious commotion among the prisoners the guards too collected about the spot the rebel officer in charge left his lunch and walked over also he held in his hand a great piece of pumpkin pie and continued eating from it as he stood there by the corpse of the man they had murdered there was almost a mutiny in the prison camp and one proper leader at that moment would have put an end to the whole rebel outfit in the end it would have been death to the whole of us previous to this threatened outbreak i had again tried my own chance at escaping it was now november the fourth eighteen sixty four a cold blustering day and the prisoners in their rags and almost barefooted stood and shivered in the naked field at four o'clock a dozen were paroled and allowed to go out to the woods and carry in some fuel lieutenant fritchie and myself managed to mix ourselves among this little paroled company and forgot to return to the enclosure we helped a little in the fuel getting and then suddenly disappeared in the pine forests for some days we crept about in the great pine woods scarcely knowing our direction or where we were going our leaving had been so sudden that we were planless here and there we stumbled onto a darky who never hesitated to bring us corn hoe-cake or whatever eatables he might happen to have in his cabin the slaves universally were the prisoners friends and they knew a hundred times more about the war and its object than their plantation masters ever supposed many an escaping prisoner was fed by them and with the north star as a guide conducted to safety many an army movement was made possible by loyal negroes barring an occasional union white man they were the only friends the soldiers had in the south lieutenant fritchie and i had some queer adventures while we wandered about the woods of south carolina during this little leave of absence from the confederates we did not see a single white man save one and he tried to shoot us one night we lodged in an open-topped corn crib not knowing in the darkness that we were quite close to an inhabited farmhouse when daylight came we peeped over the corn crib and were much astonished to see a woman at her wash-tub on the back porch of a cabin close by she must have seen our heads for that very moment she stopped her washing and entered the cabin shortly she appeared again followed by a man who took one long steady look at the corn crib then he entered the cabin and we knew it was to get his gun 
very quick resolution and action on our part became advisable a little ploughed field only separated our corn crib at the back from a thick piece of woods in a moment the man was out again on the porch bearing a musket drop to the ground behind the crib and run to the woods said fritchy i'll keep watch on the man i'll drop down too when you are across wave your hand if he's not coming and then i'll run in a moment's time i was running across the ploughed field keeping the crib between me and the porch of the cabin the man with the musket never saw me i waved to fritchy he too started on the run and to this hour i laughed myself when i pictured to my mind fritchy a short stumpy fellow tumbling absolutely heels over head in his haste to cover that bit of ploughed ground very shortly we heard bloodhounds bellowing we knew too well what that meant numbers of escaping prisoners had been torn to pieces by them that was the common way of catching runaway slaves and prisoners of war down south they hunt niggers that way to-day down there by hard running turns and counter-turns and frequent crossing and recrossing little streams we threw the dogs off our track and slept until night in the thicket the wind blew hard and cold that night and as we stood secreted under a thorn-tree by the roadside two men passed so close we could have touched them something told us they too were escaping prisoners we tried to attract their attention enough to be sure one of us spoke scarcely more than whisper instantly and in alarm the two men bounded away like scared wolves days afterward we found out that they had been not only fleeing prisoners but were indeed two of our personal friends the next night was fair and a full round moon lighted up the sandy desert with its oasis of tall immense pine trees the white winding road of sand that seemed to have been abandoned for a hundred years was almost trackless here and there too we saw an abandoned turpentine camp the spiles still in the trees and the troughs lying rotting at their feet there was nothing but silence there and loneliness and moonlight here in the quiet night if anywhere in the world two poor escaping prisoners of war would be in no danger of a foe for hours we trudged along going where we knew not when suddenly to our amazement two mounted cavalrymen stood right in our way and called to us to surrender there was nothing to do but to obey our capture had been an accident these two officers a captain and a lieutenant had been riding the country trying to catch some deserters from their army and had blundered on to us they started with us to lexington jail some miles away the captain rode a dozen yards or so ahead with a revolver in his hand i trudged along in the sand at his side faithfully hanging on to his stirrup strap the lieutenant and Fritchie followed us in a like manner in the moonlight. It seems to have been a romantic occasion when I think of it now. We two Federals and these two Confederates there alone in the moonlight and the big pine trees and the white sands about. I could not help reflecting, though, how many a captured prisoner had never been accounted for. Possibly we should never see Lexington Jail. It would be an easy thing for these men to leave our bodies there in the sand somewhere. 
there were few words at first as we plodded our slow way in the moonlight at last my captain and i entered into lively conversation about the south in general and then both of us hoped the war would soon come to an end to my surprise the young captain confided to me that he was at heart a union man and why in the confederate army i asked in astonishment because said the captain everybody in my village in south carolina is i would have been hooted to death had i remained at home my father is a rich man he is opposed to the war but he too is in the service at richmond under the circumstances i said i being union and you being union why not look the other way a moment and let me try the time required to reach yonder clump of trees no not a thought of it he answered almost hotly you are my prisoner i will do my duty the subject was dropped and in half an hour fritchie and i were inside a stone cell in lexington jail you can lie down on the stone floor and sleep if you want to the jailer said crustily the two young officers said a cheery good-bye and went away before daybreak the door of our cell opened again and the gruff jailer called which of you is adjutant byers then he pushed a basket and blanket into me and a little note the basket was full of good warm food and the little note in a woman's hand said with the compliments of the captain's wife i think tears came to the eyes of both of us there in that cell that night it was among the few kindnesses i ever experienced in the confederacy of course it was a woman's act the captain had gone to his home nearby and told his wife about his prisoners and here was the remembrance the world is not so bad after all we said to each other fritchie and i the next day the jailer paraded us out in the corridor and i think all the people in the county came to see us to remark on us and touch us with their hands most of these men women and children had absolutely never seen a northern man before and a yankee soldier was a greater curiosity than a whole menagerie of polar bears i saw the ignorance of the poor white trash of the south that day not one in twenty of them knew what the war was about the negroes had a more intelligent notion of affairs than did the people of the carolinas in a few days fritchie and i were conducted back to our prison pen near columbia south carolina shortly they moved us once more this time to the high-walled yard of the lunatic asylum inside the city as they marched us through the streets we could see how beautiful the little capital of south carolina was it had handsome shops and residences and beautiful shade trees everywhere gave it a most attractive appearance it was almost the best-known city of the south and here the fatal heresy of secession had been born as we went along the streets a mob of people gathered around us hooting and hissing their hatred at us just as they had done that first time we were taken through the town a few wanted the guards to give them a chance to hang us it was a sorry sight this band of ragged helpless hungry loyalists being led like slaves and animals through the hooting threatening crowd that mob thirsting for our blood did not dream what was about to happen 
here now in columbia we were walled in just as we had been at macon and our lives continued in much the same hardship as before only here i do not recall that any prisoner was murdered it is right to say too that the outrages so often committed on prisoners here and elsewhere in the south were not by the regular confederate soldiers but by home guards usually set over us it seems now when i recall it that life was not quite so bad here we soon had some boards given us so we built sheds to live in as for myself i with three or four comrades lived in a little wedge tent it was very cold and midwinter now i scarcely slept at night but walked about to keep warm it was on one of these midnight tramps that it occurred to me to write the song sherman's march to the sea i recur to it here because it gave its name to the great campaign it celebrates the story of how it came to be written cannot perhaps be wholly without interest during the days that sherman's army was tramping from atlanta toward savannah we prisoners were not permitted to have any news from the outside of any kind whatever there was a fear that if we knew what was going on a mutiny might follow we were constantly being told by our guards that sherman's invading army was being headed off or destroyed in the beginning we feared these stories to be true but the uneasy actions and sullen looks of our captors soon began to belie their statements as said three or four of us prisoners occupied a little wedge tent a negro had recently been allowed to come into the prison pen mornings to sell bread to those who had any money with which to buy our little mess got a small loaf now every morning not more for the bread though we needed that badly enough than for a certain little roll of paper carefully hidden away in the middle of the loaf it was a columbia morning newspaper printed on soft thin paper and of extremely small size our loyal negro had easily enough been persuaded to hide a copy of this paper in the bread for us as often as he could have the chance unobserved a knowing wink from him told us when to eat our loaf of bread inside the tent and with one of us watching at the door while another read in a low voice the news from the invading army the paper rolled up was not larger than a walnut it was full of misrepresentations and reports of disasters to sherman to mislead the georgians and lessen their alarm yet between the lines we easily enough read that sherman was surely marching on and victorious his columns were coming nearer to us and how we longed night and day that he might capture the prison at last we saw that there was no hope he was passing us though but many miles away then one morning when we unrolled the little paper in the bread and read it we knew that he had reached the sea savannah had fallen the consternation of the southerners was tremendous but next they pretended that they could box sherman up in savannah and capture his whole army one december night when i was tramping up and down the prison pen in the dark trying to keep warm i reflected on the tremendous importance of what sherman had done and i wondered what so curious a campaign would be called it was not a series of battles it was a great march and then the title and almost the words of the song came to me 
the next morning when my tent comrades were out of doors shivering over a little fire i remained in our little heap of straw and completed the verses i went out to the fire and read them to my comrades a lieutenant rockwell happened to be present and asked permission to make a copy of the verses he with many others slept on the ground under the hospital building one had to crawl on his hands and knees to enter there there was a most capable glee club among the officers and they had by some means secured a flute violins and bass viol for accompaniments they kept their instruments under the house too where they slept every afternoon this glee club was permitted to sing and play on the little elevated porch of the hospital the only condition was that southern songs should be sung not less than northern songs there was no trouble about that the songs of our captors were better than no songs besides these singers made music all the crowd of prisoners eight hundred now often stood in front of the little porch to enjoy the singing almost hundreds of the rebels too together with many ladies of columbia climbed up onto the walls where the guards stood and applauded the singers as much as any one drizzly afternoon i was standing by a little persimmon tree in the midst of the crowd listening to the songs when major isset leader of the glee club said now we will have a song about sherman to my astonishment it was my sherman's march to the sea it was received in a tremendous fashion everybody cheered and hurrahed the news of sherman's victories was fresh upon them in five minutes time the good fortune of my song was settled the name of the author was loudly called for someone saw me by the little tree and i was quickly hauled to the front and up onto the platform in a few moments an unknown officer among the many prisoners became a sort of prison hero everybody wanted the song everybody sang it and clever penmen made a good thing making copies at twenty dollars apiece confederate money as a little compliment to me the captain of the prison allowed me to sleep on the floor of the hospital room to me that was important as shall appear later in this narrative too will be seen how an exchanged prisoner by the name of tower who had an artificial leg carried the song in this wooden limb through the lines to our soldiers in the north where it was sung everywhere and with demonstration in a week it had given its name to the campaign and a million copies of it soon passed into circulation end of chapter thirteen part one